Hi, welcome everyone who has just tuned in. Thank you for joining this webinar titled Guidelines and Specifications for Microsurfacing. My name is Eliz and I'll be moderating this session. I'm here to provide any technical support. If you are experiencing any issues, please use the chat box in your webinar toolbar to contact me. This webinar is proudly brought to you by OSROADS. And just a bit about us, OSROADS supports its member organisations, those listed here to deliver an improved road transport network. Our members are collectively responsible for managing 900,000 kilometres of roads valued at more than $250 billion. Here at OSROADS, we use a program management approach where each program focuses on an operational area of the road system. This OSROADS project falls under the assets program. Just some housekeeping items before we kick off. Our presenter today will speak for 35 minutes and then we have a Q&A at the end and that is for 15 minutes. We are recording today's session and we'll contact you once the video is ready to view on our website. And if you'd like a copy of the presentation slides that we're using, you can download them in the handout section. So the GoToWebinar system that we're using has a questions functions. We could ask our presenter any questions. Simply type your questions into the questions box that you could see into your sidebar at any time throughout the webinar. Please indicate the slide number your question relates to and we'll collect the questions to answer them in the Q&A at the end. So this webinar will provide you with an overview of the updated microservicing guidelines and model specification. You can download the report from the handout section in your sidebar or through the website shown. And now I'd like to welcome our presenter. His name is Steve Patrick and he's a senior professional leader at the Australian Road Research Board based in Melbourne, specialising in the area of pavement surfacings. He has 14 years of experience in research and development in sprayed sealing practices, bitumen sprayer calibration, related field testing and the preparation of guidelines and standards. Hello Steve, it's good to have you with us today. How is it over there in Melbourne? Uh, hello Liz, it's, it's a little bit cold today, but yes, thank you, it's good to be here. No problems, thank you Steve. So on this slide is the content that Steve will be presenting and I'll hand it over to Steve. So over to you, Steve. Okay, thank you, Eliz. Um, welcome everybody to the webinar today. Ooh, I will just step backwards. First up, I'll just take you through what we'll be talking today. Uh, a bit of the project background and introduction. I'll step you through a general overview of microsurfacing uh, we'll take you through the contents of the microsurfacing guideline document, the contents of the model specification uh, in that guidelines document, the related test methods, and following all of that, we will have time for the question and answer uh, session. So, a bit of um, background and introduction onto the Ostro's project which has been conducted to update um, these microsurfacing guidelines. There's been a, uh, all Ostro's projects involve a, a team of um, various parties. In this particular project, the Ostro's project manager was John Anel from VicRoads, who is here with me today in the room. Um, myself representing the Australian Road Research Board and um, also a very important member in this project was Steve Halgan from Main Roads Western Australia who did an awful lot of the um, updating of the documents and a lot of the legwork for this project. So thanks very much to Steve. Uh, also heavily involved in this project 
was uh, for industry partners, in particular Paul Price from Downer, who has uh, provided a, a great amount of um, assistance and information and a lot of the photos that you see um, throughout the document. So thank you to all uh, the members of the project team. And as the Austroad system is set up for uh, reviewing and checking all the documents uh, as we produce them. In this case, the uh, the Austro Pavement Task Force was the main body reviewing the progress of this work. And then it goes up to the Austro's board through there. So the Austro's Pavement Task Force, yeah, there's representatives from all the uh, road authorities from across Australia and also in New Zealand. I um, won't read you out all the names here, but as you can see, there's representation from right across the country. As well as the State Road Authority members, uh, there are industry representatives from various, uh, various bodies, again, from Australia and New Zealand. So the purpose of this project was to update the Austroads microservicing documentation, which had become somewhat outdated uh, since the last publications were issued. The documents that were updated include the guidelines and specification document and um, five related test methods. The documents were updated to reflect current industry practice and terminology and ensuring the, the use of up-to-date and cost-effective treatments. So as Liz introduced, this, this guidelines and specifications for microservicing document has now been published. Uh, you can access that as with all other um, Austro's publications on the online um, publications website listed on your screen now. Uh, it is, so this is, document is being prepared to provide guidelines for the use of microservicing treatments in Australia. It's based on previous Austro's working document that has been gradually updated based on practic practitioners' experience gained over the last 25 years. The document consists of two major components. The guidance section presented in the main text, which is to provide road asset owners or managers with information on the use of microsurfing materials, and the model specification presented in the appendix, which primarily aims to provide a framework for the national microsurfing specification. The model may also be used so local use to promote consistency across specifications. Now this document is replacing the previous version of the document, APT26, that many of you may be familiar with, uh, previously titled the Guidelines and Specification for Bituminous Slurry Servicing. Uh, you can see that on screen now, so what we're talking about here is an update of that old document. The test methods that we updated uh, are listed on your screen now. These cover the sampling of bituminous slurry materials and also uh, some te the, a number of tests that are used in creating the mix design for microsurfacings. Previous versions of these documents were all published between 2005 and 2007. Now, if you have any questions that pop up as we are going through today's webinar, you can enter them in the software box on your screen. And um, when submitting your questions, please do let us know the slide number your question relates to. It gives us a chance to get that back up on the screen and, um, and attend to your question promptly. 
So now I will take you through a general overview of microservicing, what it is and why it would be used. So the definition of microservicing is now up on your screen, which is bituminous slurry surfacing that contains polymer modified emulsion binder. Is capable of being spread in layers with variable thickness for rut filling and correction courses, and for wearing course applications requiring good surface texture. The major change to this document has been the update of the terminology used regarding this type of surfacing, which has changed from slurry to microsurfacing, as microsurfacing is the only type of slurry surfacing that is now used in Australia. There are a number of pictures of microsurfacing up on your screen now. As you can see, it's an asphalt type appearance, but in a much thinner layer, um, can be used on various applications, which we will talk about now. So, uh, generally, microserving can be used as an alternative to sprayed ceiling or asphalt for a number of purposes, being where non-structural wearing courses are required, such as for pavement preservation strategies, where an increase in surface level must be minimized, for example, meeting curbs, where dense graded asphaltic type surface is desirable at a minimal cost. For example, in low traffic urban areas where sprayed ceiling type surfaces could be appropriate from a design perspective, but are not acceptable due to excessive traffic noise. Maybe use where loose aggregate from a sprayed seal may be a problem, uh, say if uh, in shopping centers and pedestrian areas. Uh, microsurfacing may be used as a means of improving surface shape and providing a uniform surface texture prior to a reseal. May be used to correct cross-sectional shape and fill ruts. Uh, microsurfacing will improve ride quality, may improve skid resistance, and again can be used to reduce the noise level of um, surfaces that would otherwise be sprayed seals. As with everything, there are some limitations with microservicing that uh, you should be aware of before you decide to use them. Microservicing do not provide any structural strength. Where used on a pavement with high curvature values, microservicing can be expected to crack early in its life. Microservicing should not be considered as a treatment to prevent crack reflection and is likely to reflect existing cracks within months of placement. If it is used on a cracked pavement, it is suggested that another treatment, such as a strain alleviating strain alleviating membrane, otherwise known as a SAM seal, or a geotextile seal may be placed first to mitigate the crack reflection. A microservicing can then subsequently be placed to provide the benefits that we have just talked about. So as I've already mentioned, the major update to this document was changing uh, in-use terminology from slurry to microservicing. So, uh, what is involved in that. Slurry seals have generally been applied as thin wearing causes, typically on low volume roads such as residential streets, uh, as either preventative maintenance on existing sound pavements or as corrective maintenance treatments. Slurry seals typically utilize smaller size aggregate for areas such as car parking lots, schoolyards and bicycle paths. Slurry seals may also be suitable on airfields to restore skid resistance and to serve as a preventative maintenance treatment. These finer types have been used because of the reduced chance of coarse aggregate being plucked out of the surfacing. 
Microsurfacing has the advantage over slurry seals with improved binder characteristics, characteristics through the incorporations of polymer. This allows the use of larger nominal size aggregates and enables its application in higher traffic areas and in thicker layers. Microsurfacing is able to address a number of pavement maintenance requirements that cannot be readily met by sprayed seals or asphalt. For example, minor shape correction and while snatching uh, into existing levels. Larger size mixes may be designed to achieve shape correction in excess of 20 mils in multiple layers. The mixes can usually be applied without prior milling or tack coating. Microsurfacing offers enhanced performance characteristics and wider scope for application in comparison to slurry seal, which is why it is the only type of bituminous slurry surfacing now being used in Australia. There are various nominal sizes of microsurfacing available, which are listed on your screen now. These nominal sizes are specified based on the nominal largest aggregate size in the mix. The numerical uh, designation on the screen now, of course, uh, refers to the size of the aggregate in millimetres. So four and five, you can expect to use local government residential resurfacing type works, airfield shared pathways, seven millimetres, typically state road or agency use, in shape and correction courses or final wearing courses and size 10 in deep ruts or shape correction or sites where a higher final surface texture is required. Uh, now what are the component materials of microsurfacing that make it a microsurfacing? The mineral aggregate requirements are set out in the specification in this document with Allowances for contractors to demonstrate fitness for purpose for non-conforming materials also. Mineral fillers are added to the material to increase the proportion of fines, give more bulk or consistency to the mix, or as a means of controlling the curing characteristics of the mix. Tuminous emulsions are normally proprietary products used for the binder in microservicing, typically manufactured using bitumens that conform to the Australian standard 2008. Water is uh, incorporated into microsurfacing, preferably potable water, and additives may be used to control the curing and flow characteristics of the microsurfacing. Uh, another bigger change that we've made to this uh, version of the document is the incorporation of high performance additives that can be added into nominated mix designs. Things uh, which are currently used, such as uh, fiber added into the mix. Other emerging technologies can also be incorporated to provide the final surfacing with enhanced properties such as pavement flexibility or strength characteristics. Uh, so yeah, the high performance additives. These have been added in in this version of the document. Again, looking for enhanced properties and flexibility and strength. When used, they are specified in the mix design in terms of their type and in terms of the dosage rates. Now these high performance additives must be approved for use prior to commencing works. The incorporation of fibers has been used in microsurfacing in Australia for a number of years now and has followed through the process 
uh, as listed in this version of the document. The way the document has been written, it allows for other high performance additives, innovative um, approaches. Uh, it's, a, it's not just a fiber, but uh, the way the document has been allowed allows for innovative, new, better um, materials to be uh, to be developed also. So now I'll step you through the major contents of the microservicing guidelines. First of all, it describes uh, the, uh, the mixed design process and the components involved in those. The mixed design is a fundamental statement of the material that's used for the microservicing, including the conformance of raw materials to specified tolerances, the required amounts of each component material used in the design, and reporting of compliance to the specified performance testing criteria in the specifications document. The mix design nominates the name and source of materials used in the mix and provides a summary demonstrating conformance of the nominated materials to the specified properties as outlined in the model specification. Also up there uh, ties into the test methods which are used as part of the mixed design process. We will be talking a bit about them later in the presentation, so we'll come back to that. The document describes the plant typically used for microsurfacing works. Most importantly, I guess, the paving units, which are usually continuously flow mixing usually continuous flow mixing machines which can accurately proportion and deliver mineral aggregate, mineral filler, emulsion and water to a pug mill or a similar mixer and discharge the mixed materials on a continuous basis. The paving units may be truck mounted where raw material storage is limited and vehicle must be stopped to be refilled or a continuous type paver where raw materials can be reloaded without disruption to the paving process. Paving units are equipped with a fine feeder that can accurately meter a predetermined amount of mineral filler into the mixer at the same time and location as the mineral aggregate. The spreader box is equipped with mechanical devices to agitate and spread the mixed materials within the box and to ensure the manufactured material is spread according to pavement surface demand. The spreader box compensates for variations in the pavement geometry also. The document describes ancillary equipment involved in microservicing process, such as rotary brooms, signs, lamps, barricades, hand squeegees, shovels, and hand brooms. The document describes field processes involved in microservicing. For example, the preparation of an existing surface. Work should be set out to ensure that straight edges are maintained along curbs and shoulders and throughout intersections. Longitudinal joints should be placed outside wheel path running areas and aligned with line marking reestatement wherever that is possible. Pavement surface should be cleaned to ensure that a good bond can be formed with the microsurfacing. It is usually sufficient to use mechanical brooming or in extreme cases, washing may be required. Services and road fixture protection can be readily achieved by using plastic sheeting as the photo on the screen shows now. Uh, paper or cardboard can also be used. It is important that all surface defects 
including cracks, potholes and pavement failures are repaired at least three months, but preferably 12 months prior to the application of the microsurfacing to ensure curing of this repair work. Poor pavement and surface repairs will adversely affect the performance of the microsurfacing. Tack coating is generally not required, but may be beneficial on very oxidized pavement surfaces, surfaces with raveling and on concrete or brick surfaces. Pre-wetting of the pavement surface is not normally required, but may be used where extreme pavement surface temperatures are experienced. The use of water fogging assists spreading of the mixed materials and cools hot pavement surfaces to prevent premature breaking of the bituminous emulsion. As will be familiar to many road builders, weather conditions are a large contributor to the success or otherwise of microsurfacing. Microsurfacing should not be placed if the pavement temperature is less than 10 degrees Celsius or above 55 degrees Celsius. Cold and wet conditions should be avoided, especially with high traffic volumes. A correction course may be required to produce a suitable and stable finish over ruts that are in excess of 10 millimeters deep. It's most important that rut filling and correction courses be overlaid by wearing course so that an even and uniformly textured surface is the result. Where multiple layers are used, each layer should be allowed to cure before it is covered by another. Typically, each layer should be trafficked for a minimum of one hour to ensure final cure is achieved and that all moisture is removed from the previous layer. For spreading, the mixture should be processed to its optimum consistency and stability. Too stiff or too fluid mixes will lead to problems. The surface finish should be uniform and it may be necessary to apply correction courses if the existing surface is uneven. Joints should be of good quality and avoid the wheel paths. Under field conditions, the paved material should be able to carry traffic within 60 minutes. There are exceptions to this when climate and material thickness are considered. In general, microsurfacing does not require rolling. However, it is considered beneficial in some circumstances, such as when the newly laid microsurfacing will not be receiving traffic, or it may receive a high proportion of turning traffic as part of its mix, for example, in a cul-de-sac or a car park. Care required to ensure that rolling does not occur prior to material cure, as this can result in delaminations. Now in terms of sampling and testing, compliance testing should be undertaken to ensure that the materials and manufactured mix conform to and achieve the properties of the approved mix design. Samples should be taken in accordance with the procedures set out in the test method AGPT T221, in line with the agreed inspection and testing plan frequency approved by the superintendent. Samples of manufactured material should be drawn at least daily and from each paving unit used on site. With more, there is more guidance to this in the specification. Surface texture testing should be conducted after one month when exposed binder films on the aggregate have worn off. Any lot of work which fails to achieve conformance will be regarded as a non-conformance and the affected lot should be replaced or corrected unless conditionally accepted subject to a reduced payment. Measurement and payment details are described in the document with guidance as to typical application rates and consideration of rut filling and other pre-work items before surfacing 
is applied. Quality assurance requirements may vary from purchaser to purchaser and vary according to the scope and magnitude of the work. These guidelines and specification document assume that the contractor and its material suppliers have quality systems in place. Now, I will give you a short description of the contents of the model specification section of this document, which is basically provided as a framework for the development of specifications within road agencies in a local and perhaps national sense. So the model specification sets out requirements for manufacture and placement of microsurfacings, describes uh, required properties of component materials, properties of the microsurfacings, responsibilities for the mix design, uh, gives descriptions of manufacturing and application requirements, and also sets out sampling and testing requirements. In terms of the additives, additives may be, the specification allows additives to be incorporated into a proposed mix design for a variety of purposes, including material brake accelerant, material brake retardant, and for the provision of higher performance in-service attributes, such as the fibre or new emerging technologies. The likely range of additive levels that is expected to be used shall be stated in the design. When additives are used, supportive test data shall be provided, which shows that the wear loss, traffic time, and excess binder content of the mix design remain within the required limits when tested at both extremes of the nominated design range for that additive. In terms of conducting mix design, the contractor is responsible for the mix design as laid out in the specification. The criteria uh, have to be listed and mixed designs which have been submitted remain valid for two years if the source of the and quality of the component material, materials remain unchanged, portions of the component material run, remain unchanged and performance in service has proved to be satisfactory. The model specification lays out a series of whole points in term, for contracts in terms of microservicing work. The first one is the mixed design whole point, where proposed microservicing design together with certification for the nominated materials and design, ver design verification documentation must be submitted at least 14 days prior to the commencement of the servicing work. For the paving unit, Calibration documentation with component material of approved mix design be submitted at least one day prior to the commencement of the surfacing works. And for the testing plans, proposed inspection and testing plan must be submitted prior to the work commencing. Now I'll briefly describe the test methods that are used in the mix design and related to the document which we've just been discussing. First up is AGPT T221, entitled Sampling of Bituminous Slurry. The title of this is quite suggestive as to what it is. It's a test method that describes the best way to sample your bituminous slurry materials such as microsurfacing. Specifies a method for sampling from the pavement unit in terms of the equipment, which 
basically a ladle for collecting the equipment and plastic containers as is typically used for bituminous materials that use emulsions. The procedure lays out the frequency of testing, which is typically the start, middle and end of the paving run to collect three one kilogram samples and the procedure behind that. It also lays out the methods or the, the procedure that you should follow to label and identify the samples that have been collected. Next up is T270, the determination of optimum amount of added water for bituminous slurry or the consistency test. This is a test which optimizes the water proportion for the mixture workability. In this test, a series of identical mixes are produced in terms of their aggregate, fillers, bituminous emulsions, and the additives, and then various amounts, to varying amounts of water are added to these samples. The, the resultant samples are placed in inverted truncated cones in their fluid state, and the extent of the flow is measured to give an indication of mixed consistency or how easy the mix will be to work with in plant. The next test method is T271, determination of set and cure for bituminous slurry or the cohesion test. This test is used to determine the time for sufficient cohesive strength to develop. The set is considered when the material will not soften or separate in rain, and cure is when the material will, will be trafficable under controlled conditions. In this test, samples of uh, microservicing are prepared before a torque is applied to the prepared samples at chosen time intervals. And the, the torque that is required to feedback in gives you a a check of when the materials become cohesive. T272 is the determination of abrasion loss of bituminous slurries, or the wet track abrasion test. This test determines material loss when the samples are subjected to abrasive action. This is the test to evaluate the wearing resistance of the microservicing under wet abrasion conditions. In this test, Again, microsurfacing samples are prepared and are soaked for a set period. Then an abrasive force is applied and the mass loss is evaluated, giving you an indication of wearing resistance under these wet conditions. Now the final test method uh, is T272, the determination of an excess binder in bituminous slurry, or the loaded wheel test. This test indicates the tendency of microservicing mixes to flush under traffic. In this test, prepared samples are subject to loaded wheel tracking cycles. Following, after, following this, the surface is covered with warm sand before further wheel tracking commences. The quantity of the sand retained through this process is used as a measure to assess the likelihood of the mix to flush under traffic. Now, 
looks like we are already up to the question and answer session. So if you do have questions, please enter them in the correct box in your software. And when submitting your questions, please do let us know the slide number you are referring to so we can quickly get back to it. And with that, I will hand back to Liz. Yes, thank you, Steve. So if you go to the next slide, the question slide with your details. Ah, yes, there we go. Thank you. So, yep. so yes, we are up to the Q&A sessions and we received some questions and thank you for those who have sent those through. So the first question we received is, has any road agency developed a specification using this new information? Uh, not as yet. The document has only just been published. So they now do have the opportunity to update their specifications based on any new information that is contained in there. Okay. Thank you, Steve. Another question relating to slide 22. So can it be used for resolving bleeding seals in wheel paths? So I believe it's just the application of microsurfacing in general. Uh, might, you know, yeah, in a limited sense, it, if you're having bleeding in the wheel paths and you um, eh, you may find yourself in a situation covering it with a thing like microsurfacing that once again the bleeding leads itself to the surface. Um, in those, it's, it, it's not necessarily a um, a replacement for like a dry matting or something which you may consider in those circumstances. But um, yeah, bleeding in the wheel paths, it's um, rutting in the wheel paths, definitely, but um, bleeding in the wheel paths may not be the best uh, best solution. Okay, thanks, Steve. Question in relating to slide 30. So which organisation is permitted to carry out calibration of the plants? Uh, I'm, don't, I'm not. I'm not. Actually, that's a good question for me. <laughs> I can't tell you off the top of my head uh, who looks after the calibration of the um, equipment, but um, you can certainly find that out. There's a number of microsurfacing contractors um, around the country, so um, yeah, that's something we can look into and let people know if they are interested. Great, thanks, Steve. Next question relating to slide 31. So do you have to remove the existing line marking? No, you don't have to beforehand. Um, I guess it will be covered by this new layer. And of course, you'll have to reinstate it afterwards. But no, you don't have to go through and remove um, line marking, no. Mm, OK, thanks, Steve. would have so, to remove that like that though if they were any existing uh, any you know, anything other than the line marking you'd, you'd want to get rid of but no um, the paint paint line marking is fine yeah thanks for clarifying that one Steve so we received a detailed question from Gary so he's asked so any data or history of how microsurfacing performs in flood prone areas with frequent inundation so is delamination a risk or is it or is it that more from installation issues? We have a such a road with some cracking that we would like to correct, but are unsure about such issues 
issues such as skid resistance or delamination under inundation. It sounds as if a correction course would be needed in any case. Mm. Uh, in terms of the uh, performance in a flooding setting, I must say unaware of how that would work. If it was being used to cover a road with banana cracking, um, it would probably be quite a, um, it should be okay. Uh, it was a multi-part question. Have I missed any <laughs> responses? Uh, is delamination a risk or is that more from installation issues? Uh, from flooding? I'm well. I guess you can expect the lamination from construction issues. Certainly, if the existing surface is not being swept and cleaned properly, that is the first step into making sure that um, the microsurfacing is going to stick as well as it can do. Whether it would stay down through intense, um, uh, like occurrences of flooding it's a hard it's a very difficult thing to say i think you're going to have a lot of problems with any type of rural road servicing with sprayed seals depending on the type i think you could you could probably expect a similar uh type behavior in terms of sprayed seals with microservicing and extreme weather events such as that where there's some pretty extreme forces being applied to the road surface and also the pavement underneath so it's um it's a difficult thing. It's a um it's a very very difficult thing to, to plan for, I guess, in especially in terms of the surfacing. Okay, yeah, thanks for clarifying that one, Steve. Received a question from George. So in relation to slide thirty nine, which is how long does it take in days for the contractor to develop the mix and conduct testing in accordance with the specification? Okay. Um. Uh, very hard question to give a specific answer to, but there, as the test methods which we described, there are a number of steps to go through. But once a contractor does have a mix design that has been approved, it is um, it is valid for up to you know, it is valid for a long period of time after that. So there are a number of steps to go through with the mix design, but um, yeah, I, I can't give you a sort of a uh, a very sound answer on that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for answering, Steve. Uh, we received another question, which is, is there any template to carry out a decision-making, i.e. life cycle costing analysis? Uh, in this document, no, we don't really go over um, asset management concerns such as that, but there are... A, a, don't go through anything further that's involved that is covered in the Austro's um, guide to asset management, which is where I'd suggest you look for that sort of guidance. Excellent, thank you. Another question is what would be the critical factors to specify in looking for a treatment to deal with said inundated cracked road? Sorry, uh, what cracked road? Uh, what would be the critical factors? Uh, inundated crack road. Well, if we're talking about um, using a microservicing on a very, very 
cracked road and you uh it's not always the best treatment um as we discussed in the in the presentation you, if if there's a severely cracked surface the microsurfacing is being placed on or a quite a, a a road that has reported high curvature values and deflection testing you can expect those cracks to be reflected back through the microsurfacing so instead you'd consider things like a strain alleviating membrane or as a like a SAM sprayed seal treatment, a GF textile reinforced treatment with a spray seal covering it. Uh, but yeah, in terms of a heavily cracked road, unfortunately microsurfacing is probably not the, the best uh, solution. Okay, thank you, Steve. Next question is, any special consideration while using microsurfacing in Cape Seal? Hmm. No, not really. Um, it'd be very, it's very similar to, it's very similar in operation to traditional slurries and I guess the traditional Cape Seals. So you can consider microsurfacing for use in Cape Seals just as you would um, have traditionally but hopefully with enhanced performance due to that um, addition of polymers into the binder. Okay, thank you, Steve. Lots of questions coming through, which is great to see. <laughs> so please keep submitting them, which is good. The next question is, in Australia or New Zealand, any test track studies performed on birds with microsurfacing? Uh, microsurfacing has been used a bit around the country. There hasn't been any Austroids trials that have been um, focused on microsurfacing in my time working on it but uh the kind of the contractors are, have used it across the countries and have, especially like when the um fiber technology is being introduced they, they have been trialed by the by the contractors but um there has been no ostroids trials for microsurfacing at least at, at least that i can uh, report of in recent times Okay, thanks, Steve. Another question is how the performance, how the microsurfacing conditions changes with change in pavement type, so i.e. rigid pavement and flexible pavement. So can you comment on that one? Um, I guess it's similar with any um, bituminous surfacing covering pavements. There, there, there will be differences but uh, like we were saying before, if you've got a, a highly flexible or a pavement with it's returning high curvature values, it's quite a you know it's a, a, a softer pavement. You can't expect it to crack. And then similarly, if you put it on top of concrete or cement treated type bases, similarly to what you get with sprayed seals, you'd you know you'd see reflection of underlying joints and things coming through as well. So it's this is similar in performance to sprayed seals in that sense. Okay, thank you, Steve. So we have a question from Jonathan in relation to slide 41, in relation to frequency of sample is start, middle and end. So would you combine the three samples to perform the final compliance testing for aggregate grading and residual binder content? Uh, in this, Test method, it is, you keep you collect and keep the samples separately. Uh, I guess as a measure, 
So if there is any difference in the machine as it is operating, you can identify that. But uh, yes, I believe that answers the question. And then the, the, the other test methods that we were talking about, a lot of them were um, uh, in, in talking about mix design. So the, the first test method, um, T221, is talking about sampling from a pavement paving unit, whereas the other test methods are talking about uh, lab-based lab mix design, basically. Okay. And where is the best location on the machine to take the samples for compliance when using the ladle? Is it expected to take samples as the machine is moving on the run, as you indicate start, middle and end of run? Uh, I'd have to double check the document to check there, but I think it's the, uh, it is described in the document, um, which is now available up on the Austro's website, the updated version as well. So, um, refer you back to the document. Sorry, I can't tell you off the top of my head in that case. Okay, thanks, Steve. So, does cracks need to be sealed in the existing pavement and then applying microsurfacing? Yes, that is a recommended approach. If the cracks aren't uh, particularly major or expected to be, um, if they're not huge cracks that, are, that you know to be moving a lot. Um, it would be a good idea to seal them over before, or to crack seal them before applying the microsurfacing. It is suggested that pavement defects are dealt with before the microsurfacing goes on top. Okay. Thanks, Steve. Another question is how long does it last in residential street? Mm. Uh, how long is a piece of string? Uh, <laughs> uh, depends on application to application. Um, Five plus years would be a good estimate, I think. Um, yeah, so that's something that needs to be weighed up against. It's you know the other treatments and the the, the cost of microsurfacing compared to a spray seal or a, an asphalt. But it's one of those things. I guess the the more uh, the more money you spend on it, the longer you can um, expect it to last. That's not a steadfast rule, but it's um, yeah. Mm. So in relation to slide 26, you said you could put additives in to control flow. Would something like mm. A10E or A15E polymer be suitable? Uh, I think that's not quite what I meant. Um, in terms of, so the binders used in microservices are a polymer modified binder, like the ones you just described somewhat. However, they're an emulsified version. Um, the additives that we're talking about um, on this slide, we're talking about things that would be added to help um, uh, either retard or slow down, the, particularly the breaking of the emulsion and those sort of things. So, um, and yeah, latex type additives. So, um, yeah, generally the binders used in microservicing are a proprietary specialist binder specifically intended for microservicing. So. Thank you, Steve. So why is microservicing not applic applicable for low temperature areas? Uh, I think we're talking about there in um, application of microservicing. Um, it, 
as with any or as with many of the bituminous based road thing road materials uh, dealing with them in low temperatures is quite hard and um, dealing with them outside of the recommended temperature ranges is leaving you prone to poor performance of the material in the run or just um, inadequate quality compared to what's required with finishing the job. As with typically a somewhat hot, even a somewhat hot um, applied material to cold pavement surfaces is a difficult thing to make work. So it's, it's along those kinds of lines. Thanks for answering. Another question in relation to slide 31. So how can you control the flow onto the curb and gutter? Okay, I think I've got a, well, as you can should take you to slide 30. You can see the machine there. It, had, um, it has edges that are set up to assist with putting it on. And I think I had another... There's it, one of the ancillary equipment items that we, there we go, is um, a squeegee. So as you can see there, the machine, the the edge of the of the um, of the paving box is lined up on the at the required point, and then that is followed up with a squeegee to neaten it up. So there are various techniques available to make sure you make those joins properly. Okay, thanks, Steve. Next question is, would a roller help prevent excess material loss in the weeks after application? Uh, yeah, not necessarily. Um, as long as you get the material, you can place the material in the right place and have the emulsion break and have it set properly, then you know that's that's the major concern. Rolling may be uh, useful sometimes, but no, yeah, it's not it's not a necessary item in that in that regard. Yeah, yeah as long as it's cured, you 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 should yeah. be fine. Yep. Or so you if, what you expect. So. Yeah. So if there is no life cycle analysis, what is a typical design life of the surface? Uh, five plus years is a good starting point. Um, so I think that's, that's what I'd say at this, at this stage. Yeah. So are there any limitations for the next seal after the microsurfacing treatment? Uh, not anything specific to microsurfacing, no. So, um, as with any of the, as any type resurfacing type application, you will be looking at its condition when it's done, the texture, that is available um, but yeah it's, it's it's similar to other it's very analogous to other types of bituminous surfacing in that regard thank you steve uh question from paul so he said we understand vic roads uses microsurfacing to complement the standard spray seal treatments to improve side and shape as well as overall pavement characteristics is there any data available on this John, um, really? No, I don't think so. I don't know if we have, I can't think of any papers that have been presented at conferences uh, recently, but yeah, as the question said, it is used as a complementary part of um, surfacing, but uh, yeah, I, 
can't um, I, don't, I don't can't think of any you know publicity items I could share at the moment about it. No. Okay, thanks, Steve. So Marcus has asked, what is typical design life expected with microservicing similar to other seals? Well, if we're looking at five plus years, it's a little bit under what you might expect from a, a lot of similar, similarly sized uh, sprayed seals. Um, it always, yeah, probably a bit less than other seals or spray seals, depending on the asphalt type and things, you know, it's, uh, there are many variables in there. Yep. You can, um, I, I really, it's depending on, it's product dependent as well and um, what size aggregate you're using, what's the application and um, uh, contractors would be a good uh, person to talk to about what you can expect in terms of the lifespan of these products. Mm. Thank you. Hope that's answered your question, Marcus. So another question is, does it actually improve the slip resistance characteristics or make it worse? Uh, well, it depends what you're starting with. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it depends. Not knowing what was there originally, and you know, it. Well, I'll answer the question in terms of. It does have the potential to improve poor skid resistance, yes, especially if you use a higher, larger mixed design size, which can be expected to have a higher texture. Thanks for um, <laughs> yep. So another question is, is there any suitable traffic volume for microservicing and speed limit of road? Uh, I have to double the there is um that is listed in the document I'd have to double check before I um gave you a number I think uh the size ten I think the number about three thousand vehicles a day I think that i'd I'd recommend you print out and have a good read of the document it's definitely that information is in there. What was the other half of the question sorry uh it was only one question uh is there any suitable traffic volume for microservicing and speed speed limits of road? Speed limit. Oh, yeah. Well, I guess with speed limits, again, that what comes down to making sure that you have an adequate texture level for the speed and of the road and the location. Like, you know, you know how much there's larger group designs approaching um, intersections and such. So, yeah, like with any bitumen surfacing, uh, especially with asphalt, you want to make sure that you are selecting an appropriate surface for the appropriate part of the road you're working on in terms of what's the expected speed, whether you're coming up to an intersection or a corner and that sort of thing. So yeah, it's very similar to other, um, I guess, concerns with asphalt and even spread seals in that regard. Okay, thanks, you. So can this be applied to mastic pavements? Yeah, I think. I, I if we understand the question, I think yeah, it can be. It, it's it's not um, uh, it's not overly. It, it's as with other bituminous servicings, yeah, it can be applied to a variety of pavement types. Yes. Okay. Another question is with the sampling of the slurry, how would you handle it? Would you spread it out and let it dry out before packing, or would you package wet and have it break and cure full of water in the container? Yeah, you, um, 
goes in the container and it's sealed up straight away. So um, yeah, you don't want the, the moisture loss, I believe, with um, the sampling from the pavers. Mm, okay. Thanks, Steve. Another question is, how does one microsurfacing mix perform at low and high temperature? Do you think there should be two different specifications at low and high temperature? Also, please give a range of high and low traffic volume applicable for microsurfacing. Um, in, uh, well, there isn't any uh, current allowance for low and high temperature applications of microsurfacing. Um, do I think there should be? Probably uh, the, the cause has not um, become necessary at this stage. And in terms of the traffic volumes, well, I guess it can go from zero and I, I, the number is in the report. I'd ha I can't tell you off the top of my head, but if you um, download the report, there is some guidance about traffic levels in there. Thanks, Steve. So with sampling, would you sample straight from the spread rocks or on the ground? Uh, you'd want to sample before it hits the ground. So yeah, you want to you you collect the samples from the truck wherever that that access point is made available for you. Okay, thanks, Steve. In relation to slide 26, can the mineral filler be sourced from recycled plastic products? Has any work been done in this space? That's an interesting question. Not that I'm aware of. Um, in I wonder if that may even be considered as part of a high performance additives. But the way this document has been written is that you can use um, uh, other additives as long as you are able to prove that they work in terms of the test methods and the design process. So uh, it it is allowed for um, things like that can be added, but uh, it has to be proved suitable for use before you do so. Okay, thanks, Steve. Another question is, are there any restrictions on the use of reclaimed asphalt pavement, RAP, as an aggregate in microsurfacing? It's not used, no, you'd need, um, yeah, you'd, you'd, the, the aggregate in terms of microsurfacing, you know, it's a single size, very controlled aggregate source. Oh, not single size, but, you know, um, it is, uh, it's probably virgin aggregate in all cases. Okay. Another question is, what is the minimum and maximum laying thickness of microsurfacing? Uh, length, in terms of application, that will depend on the equipment that you have and um, whether it's a continuous uh, piece of equipment or not. But in, yeah, in terms of there, there's no restriction in terms of how long you might choose to use this for. It just um, it's come down mm -hmm. to other economic and asset management type um, decisions that need to be made. Okay. Another question is, what is the end of life defect of microservicing and what remedial treatments are recommended? Mm. Um, well, I guess you cracking, delamination, uh, yeah, loss of skid resistance, it, very similar to asphalt and spray, surf, spray seal servicings in you know, those kind of defects. In terms, and again, repairing them, 
uh, would be much the same. You, you know, I don't know, just patching and crack sealing to a degree, but uh, yeah. Okay. Right. And the last question is applying a sprayed seal on top of a microservicing a suitable follow-up treatment. Further, is applying crack sealing to reflective cracking coming through microsurfacing any impediment to follow up sprayed servicing or further microsurfacing? Uh, both are applicable. Um, will depend on um, uh, I guess another a number of variables related on how big the cracks are, what the overall asset management plan is. Um, but yeah, it, it, those sort of maintenance treatments can be used on microservicing as you would a sprayed seal. Okay, thanks Steve. So we did have a handful full of questions that we didn't um, answer, but what we'll do is we'll email those, uh, we'll, we'll email a response to the people who ask those questions. But before we let you go, uh, there are just some upcoming webinar sessions I'd like to let you know. So as you can see on this slide, we have a webinar on benefits of safety and traffic management technologies on 19th of June and another webinar on guidelines for continuing improvement processes for asset management on 28th of June. We then have another session on connected and automated vehicles trials where we have four presenters and that will be on 3rd of July. So if you'd like more information or to register for these events, please go on the website shown. And due to some requests, our webinars are now available as podcasts. Simply search for Osroads on your podcast app or you could use our RSS feed. So feel free to subscribe. And the last news is that Osroads has partnered with RMS New South Wales to bid to host the World Road Congress in Sydney in 2023. So this event is an opportunity to showcase some of our groundbreaking innovation and play an active role in shaping the future of our global community. Please support Australia and New Zealand's bid and join us on the road to Sydney in 2023. And you can visit the website for more information. So to everyone who's joined us today, we hope you gained some insights. Thank you for participating. There was a lot of questions that came through and thank you for everyone who sent the questions through. We appreciate your feedback. So please fill out a survey after the webinar. And of course, thank you, Steve, for taking your time to speak today and answer everyone's questions. Thank you, Liz. Thank you. Goodbye, everyone, and enjoy the rest of your day.